Computer Center. This is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. We have got a lot to talk about on the show today. We're going to be consumed mostly by the Plekis Report. And uh, we're going to be joined by Andrew Wilkinson, the leader of the BC Liberal Party, in the back end of the show. But first, uh, real pleasure to welcome to the show the Vancouver Suns' Vaughn Palmer and Global BC's Keith Baldry. Welcome both. Uh, good to talk to you again. And welcome back, Keith. Your first show of the year. I hope your holidays were good. Yeah, well, I didn't take much time off. There's so, so much going on. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, okay, guys, uh, let's dive into this because there's a lot of stuff to chew over here. Uh, Vaughn, you'll remember, and Keith, too, uh, before Christmas as we wrapped up uh, the last season of Inside uh, Politics, uh, I said that we were standing, as, uh, and where we were standing with the Plekis report at the time, I said we're standing in front of two roads. Either Plekis has lost his mind or he's sitting on the mother of all investigations. I think we've more or less answered that question. But first question to you, Vaughn, in light of the 76-page Plekis report, is this a complete exoneration of Daryl Plekis or do questions still remain? I think you can continue to raise questions as questions were raised last fall about the way he went about this, and I think those questions will continue. I think we'll probably hear them from the accused when we get their reply. But uh, I was too skeptical of Daryl Plekis. Uh, I, I doubted he was on to anything, and I think this report shows that he was on to a great deal. He's claiming vindication. He certainly has demonstrated that this was something valid, that this needed to be looked into. I think the other thing that really jumps out to me is he's shown how only a speaker of the legislation, with a uh, legislature, with the power and the access of a speaker, could have gotten together all of this stuff and produced this very impressive documentary record. Yeah, uh, Keith. One of the things the premier said yesterday was that this said, uh, word of this had been rumors in the hallways for a long, long time. A lot of these allegations in the report go back years. The behavior, the sense of entitlement certainly goes back a long time. Uh, how, why did it take so long for, for these rumors in the hallways to find their way into the headlines? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I accidentally had breakfast with Daryl Pluckus the day after his report. So I came into the dining room early and he motioned me over and we had an interesting chat for an hour or so along with Alan Mullen, his special advisor. And he pointed out, as Vaughn just said, he was in, he was in the only position that someone could come up with this information, that only the speaker had access to these receipts and only the speaker could sort of conduct an investigation like this because those two officers were immune from FOIs, they were immune from scrutiny from LAMSI, the Legislative Assembly Management Committee. Um, MLAs have to post all their expenses and spending. These two officers were the only two people exempt and the only the speaker had the power to delve into this. And then John Horgan made the point, and Plekis made this point as well, he's also in the unique position because he's an independent speaker. He's not a member of any political party in the legislature. He's all by himself. He's not a member of caucus. He's not beholden to any of his colleagues there for this. So he was free to just dive into this thing full bore and come up with with whatever he found and let the chips fall where they may be. So uh, it's it's sort of a perfect coming together of circumstances that we've never seen in the BC legislature before. Uh, Now, in terms of rumors, we all, when this story first hit, when they were first marched out of the legislature, Vaughn and I actually talked about this saying it's probably travel, something to do with travel, because these two guys travel a lot and expenses. And so, but there were no rumors about 
you know, purchasing a $1,100 suit or a $13,000 wood chipper or a $1,400 worth of luggage. Those weren't in the rumor mill. All that was always known up front was that there was a lot of travel going on for a long time from the clerk's office and the sergeant at arms had been going on for decades and had been ramped up under Craig James's watch. But uh, it took an independent speaker who really wanted to take the initiative here to find out something that had been probably hiding in plain sight for so long. Well, that raises an interesting question then, Vaughn. If we have this window of opportunity with a truly independent speaker to shine a flashlight on something that the public hasn't seen in any great detail, all these detailed expenses coming out of the legislature, how do we make changes going forward to ensure that when a partisan speaker comes in that we just don't you know, go back to the same old way of doing things? Well, I think uh, we're at the end of an era here. You know, I think the parties in the legislature, um, uh, the Auditor General of British Columbia, the previous one, John Doyle, blew the whistle on the legislature itself in a report that came out in 2012. And John Doyle had a hell of a time getting into the legislature to audit, and they tried to cover up the report, and it was only when he threatened to go public that it came out. And that resulted in significant changes regarding disclosure, routine disclosure of MLA spending and expenses. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, in retrospect, when they did that, they didn't extend that to uh, the clerk of the legislature and the sergeant-at-arms. Clearly, now we should have done that. So I think going forward, what you will see is, first of all, obviously, thorough disclosure, routine disclosure, it'll all be public. No clerk of the legislature in the future will ever have the kind of power that Craig James had in discretion. And the other thing is, I think this is obvious, I hope they do it, is these junkets that the clerk of the legislature and the speaker and the sergeant-at-arms go on, those should be approved ahead of time. They should be vetted ahead of time, not just automatic that they get to do it. And, of course, the disclosure complete uh, when they get back. So I think we really do, uh, Shane Hare, stand at the end of an era. The uh, Those days are gone. Uh, Keith, as we go through the report, um, a lot of things stand out to me. I mean, it's certainly jaw-dropping, certainly titillating, uh, certainly a lot of stuff to put in newspaper columns on TV and in radio stories, without a doubt. But I keep stepping back and thinking, man, how do we prove a lot of this stuff? And, uh, and I'll use the um, you know, the loading up of the truck of booze, which is a, you know, there's a headline-grabbing story, a lot of people talking about that. But how do you prove that? And then, you know, on top of that, Bill Beresoff, who was supposed to have received this truck of booze comes out yesterday and tells the Petitin Herald, no, nah, I never saw any of that, didn't come here. I mean, yeah. to me, it underscores a point of like, okay, great headline, but now as we move forward, how do you prove all this stuff? Uh, it's a very good point, and I think um, it, the lesson here was don't prejudge things, and I think everybody probably prejudged Plekis uh, some time ago and thought, gee, you know, you're making a lot of wild accusations, you've got nothing, nothing to back it up, and I think uh, the pendulum has swung now the other way, saying, oh, you've really found something here, but I think the lesson here is we prejudged it before, and we shouldn't necessarily prejudge it right now in terms of final conclusions. So Craig James and, and um, Gary Lenz are preparing a response, no question, from their lawyers. It's either going to take the form of a civil lawsuit or some sort of formal statement, and they will challenge a number of assertions in Plekis's report. The one thing, though, that Plekis has is he has receipts for a number of things. So I think you have to separate 
the stuff that is actually has physical documentation to it, such as receipts, uh, which can be looked at, <coughs> looked at and verified rather, rather than anecdotal assertions from the speaker that if, uh, if there's no documentation or eyewitness testimony with names to it, I'm not sure you can, you can put that in the same category as, as uh, receivable uh, transactions for, you know, a suit or a, a, a set of luggage or cufflinks and these types of things. So there's different levels of accusations and allegations in that report, and I think they should be judged uh, accordingly differently because one has proof and one is just simply an unsupported accusation. We'll see what the response is. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things prior to the report coming out is, is we looked at the behavior of the speaker. Uh, one of the factors was this press conference with Craig James and Gary Lenz. They seemed composed, they seemed bewildered, they didn't have a clue what was going on. It added a bit to that narrative of what is going on in the Speaker's office. Uh, Vaughn, I can't remember if you made this point on Twitter in one of your columns, but I thought you made an excellent point about how Craig James' lawyer contacting the RCMP or, or the legislature, however it worked out, offering to return the log splitter, which gave some kind of inkling that perhaps they knew what was down, coming down the pipeline here. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, we don't have just receipts. Uh, we do have receipts, but we have we have the wood splitter itself. It's parked just out behind the office that Keith and I occupy in Victoria, as is the famous trailer. It is right out there and is sitting there, so clearly they exist. And yes, uh, one of the things that the Speaker released this week is a letter, December the 4th, from the James Lenz lawyer saying uh, our clients uh, left some stuff at the buildings, uh, personal belongings, they would like to uh, they would like to re- recover. And oh, and by the way, um, they wanted uh, we, we want to drop off this wood splitter, uh, which uh, you know. So clearly, they knew there was an issue with it. Uh, as I said, we haven't heard from them yet, but there is physical evidence here as well. And you know, all of that. Yes, I agree with what Keith just said that you shouldn't jump. You know, having gone from not being, uh, from being too skeptical about Plekas to being not skeptical at all, there are issues about the way he handled this that I think will come up again. One of the questions that Keith and I have both heard at this week is, was it necessary to go on three overseas trips before you blew the whistle on this? Was there an issue? Auditor General Carol Bellringer has raised it. Shouldn't some of this stuff have been shared with the Auditor General of the legislature earlier so she could get going on it as well? She is the legal auditor of the Auditor General of of the legislature. Yeah. Uh, uh, final question to you before we head to a break. We're going to continue on the Plekis report for the bulk of the show, so don't worry about that. But uh, final question to you before we hit the break, Keith. Uh, the million-dollar question to me here is in the litany of allegations, what, if anything, comes out as a criminal charge? And then the other th- the thing that jumps out at me is sort of the court of public opinion versus the court uh, at the end of the day. And I just want to I want you guys to hear this little snippet from Kyla Lee, and then and then we'll talk about that. No, it's not, oh my God, my clients are screwed. I I think this is a gift to the defense. The best thing you can have as a defense lawyer is the star witness in the case against your client, giving numerous statements to media, producing reports. Every time you have a prior statement, you get the opportunity to identify prior inconsistencies and impugn the reliability of those allegations. 
So that's Kyla Lee on the Plekis report. Keith, uh, will it turn into, I mean, the court of public opinion is one thing, but the court court is a whole other thing. Yeah, you know, I talked to a retired police detective of 27 years experience uh, who told me he's read the report, he's looked at all the exhibits that were attached to the report, and he's come to the conclusion he doesn't see a criminal charge arising from any of these allegations. He thinks it's a civil case, it's a workplace dispute. Uh, also questions, again, as from a detective's point of view, that evidence was gathered by a non-professional and the chain of custody is potentially tainted as a result of that. So he doesn't see, and another police officer I've also talked to has the same view, that this is not necessarily a criminal matter unless, and big unless here, unless there's other information, and Plekis has hinted at this, and so has Alan Mullen, his special advisor, that there's other information outside of this report that has been given to the police for further consideration. That's what could turn it potentially into a criminal matter, but it's interesting, two veteran law enforcement officers I've talked to have seen all this stuff, the same stuff we've all seen, and they've come to the conclusion that it doesn't support a criminal proceeding. Alan Mullen telling the Vancouver Sun a hand grenade now, yeah. maybe a bomb later, and we'll talk about that uh, with Vaughn Palmer and Keith Baldry right after the quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Inside Politics. We're talking to Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer doing a deep dive into the Plekis report. Uh, the Vancouver Sun's Lori Colbert sat down with Alan Mullen, uh, who said, among other things, and I'll pull out a direct quote here, we're not stopping. I wouldn't assume we are done. We aren't even close to being done. I think this could turn into the single biggest item in Canadian political history. And Mullen adds, we are talking about a lot of money. Vaughn? Alan Mullen hasn't uh, lost his touch with a headline, and uh, look, uh, he has generated an awful lot of coverage on this, and as I said, the uh, the report certainly shows that he and the Speaker were on to something. One thing that he said a couple of times this last few days and indicated is that um, there is material that have gone to the police that is not in the Plekis report and not in the exhibit. So they passed material on to the police that uh, may be more germane to what the subject of the police investigation is. Um, he, again, can, said the reason there are two special prosecutors is because the case is so broad. So, you know, I think uh, they've earned the benefit of the doubt on that. There may be evidence out there and material out there that uh, goes way beyond what we already know, and I guess we have to wait and see what it is. Uh, I'm going to play this little snippet of Alan Mullen from Laurie Colbert's interview from the Vancouver Sun, uh, and then we'll talk about it here. They uh, confirmed that the police are, are looking at expenses, but they're looking at a lot more stuff too. And, and when, they, when they are ready, I mean, they're, they are preparing uh, production orders, i.e. Uh, search warrants. Um, they are all over this. Special prosecutors are paying attention to the stuff in this report too, because the, the, the taxpayers are being affected here. Now, okay, to some degree, fair enough. You might have a little bit of knowledge about what the police are doing, but uh, Keith, I, I got a little nervous listening to him because I don't know that he would know what kind of warrants they're preparing. And B, uh, special prosecutors may well be you know, paying attention to this report, but I will note this line in the preface of the report itself, the special prosecutors do not wish to receive this preliminary report. Yeah, no, that's certainly, there's a bit of mystery around some of these comments about how, um, I'm not sure whether Alan would necessarily know 
about search warrants or being briefed on search warrants, I'd find that would be highly irregular if the police were to do that. But uh, to get into the legislature, though, for the police, they have to go through the Speaker's office. This is, we've seen that before, where Claude Richmond had to sign off on the, on the raid on the legislature when, uh, during the B.C. Rail case. And so the Speaker has to be involved in the execution of search warrants, so it's conceivable they have knowledge of this, uh, that, that what's, what's coming. Um, I've actually deliberately gone in on weekends and walked around the hallway to see if there are any police <laughs> active <laughs> in the hallway on the weekends. I think when these search warrants are served, it's likely to be when no one's there which would mean a Saturday or a Sunday. And, uh, again, that's why I've been checking in there pretty well every weekend since this thing first broke to see if the cops are in either either of the offices, the clerk or the sergeant-at-arms. So uh, where this is headed is um, there's going to be an audit uh, where, where Alan Mullen says we're not finished yet. I'd be wondering whether they sort of have to stand down, he and Plekis, and allow Carol Bellringer and her team of professional auditors to come in and start looking at all the paperwork. But the police investigation continues, and it's obvious, or at least from Mullen's comments, they have information that they're examining that is outside of this uh, of the stuff that's contained in this report. Uh, Vaughn, uh, another troubling aspect to the Plakis report is is all of these um, accusations centering around Craig James, not just on the, on the crazy spending, but on his sort of coziness with the B.C. Liberals, taking expense-paid trips to see Christy Clark and uh, all of these other, Bill Beresoff, all these Liberals who at the time were out of office, uh, implications that they were trying to rein in Gary Lenz, uh, one comment in the report, uh, ostensibly in a conversation around, oh, I don't know if you know, I'm a little nervous about the police or whomever ever looking into the expenses and and uh, apparently Craig James making some comment along the line of oh I've got all this dirt on the liberals I can I can shut that down uh, is there a concern is there a worry here with Craig James alignment or coziness with the BC liberals or no yeah and I think it's been there right from the beginning uh, I uh, the, the the day after Craig James was appointed clerk of the legislature in uh, June 2nd 2011 uh, had a piece in the Vancouver Sun pointing out that we'd never had a clerk of the legislature appointed this way before. All the previous clerks of the B.C. legislature, certainly in modern times, had been nominated by the premier of the day and seconded by the leader of the opposition of the day and were chosen unanimously by all parties in the legislature. It emphasized that these were nonpartisan appointments undertaken with consultation. There was no question from the beginning. The problem with Craig James was there right on the 2nd of June 2011. He was nominated by Rich Coleman for the Liberals. The then leader of the opposition, Adrian Dix, got up and protested. The then opposition House leader, John Horgan, got up and protested. And James is, as near as I can determine, he may be the only clerk of the B.C. legislature. He is certainly the only one in modern times that was elected by the government over protest from the opposition. The vote was 47 liberals, 30 new Democrats opposed, and the only independent in the House that, in those days, Vicki Huntington, opposed as well. So it wasn't a question of whether or not Craig James was qualified. It was a question about whether or not the way it had been handled underscored that he was way too aligned with one party in the legislature, the government, and opposed by the opposition on an issue of fairness and appropriateness. And unfortunately, you know, that is the way it started in 2011. And it's taken a while for that 
flock of chickens to come home to roost, but it's right there in the Plekis report. And given, but given that um, James isn't coming back, so I think all that is now, it's interesting stuff now, um, and, and, but it's history, and it's, uh, because James is not going to be there in that job. Uh, there is going to be, when the House comes back in, uh, in February, there will be a motion put in front of the House to terminate those, rescind those two appointments. Um, so it's, uh, I, I don't blame the NDP right now for uh, dining out on this as much as they can. And it's interesting, Shane, to watch. There's another news release just landed. The backbenchers of the NDP uh, are the ones who are, are issuing news releases condemning the, the James for being too closely aligned with the Liberals, or whatever point they want to make. The attack is coming from the backbench of the NDP, and they're attacking the Liberals. It's great political theater to watch this. And it's a, it's a nice issue for the NDP to jump on. But at the end of the day, the far more serious and relevant stuff is whether or not there's criminal charges or what else is what other shoes are left to drop here and the other thing shane is i've heard this from one political staffer uh we've obviously got the goods on james i wonder if james has the goods on anyone else mm. that's where i think there's a bit of nervousness out there because mlas have gone on trips with james uh there's been proceedings involving mlas and and, and a number of occasions with the sergeant arms and craig james and and i just don't think the final chapter has been written here which is why i don't think everybody is totally comfortable with what may come out uh, eventually yeah good point uh let's take a quick break uh, to the bottom of the hour in inside politics and we'll continue our conversation uh, with keith baldry and vaughn palmer on the plecus report and what happens now the audit uh implications the nanaimo by-election and more after this Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Inside Politics. We're talking to the Vancouver Suns, Vaughn Palmer and Global BC's. You're listening to... <laughs> there we go. Uh, uh, okay, guys, uh, the Plekis report, what happens now? Of course, the big one is the audit that's going to go in and, and try and sort all this out. Some interesting questions around that. Uh, number one, it was originally going to be an outside auditor, unless you two disagree. Uh, my reading of this is Lampsey's going to go back to Carol Bellringer. Uh, but I wonder, and first question to you, Keith, on this is, uh, Carol Bellringer, fair enough, but from a public perception level of going in to a place that's been mired in this behavior in decades, from a public perception level, it would it be better to have somebody outside step in? And that's not a knock on Carol Bellringer. No, I think Carol Bellringer is the right choice. Keep in mind, John Doyle, as Vaughn mentioned a while ago, John Doyle, her predecessor, uh, was the first one to try to take on this issue. So there's a, at least that office has a track record of, of trying to uh, get to the bottom of this. And they've been stymied in the past. But uh, no, Carol, it would be problematic to go to province on a number of levels. First of all, uh, it's not just one person. This is an office. And I don't think any other province is going to say, sure, take our Auditor General away from us for six months. That's just that's just not going to happen. And it's not like you can call KPMG uh, or Price Waterhouse to come in here. As Carol Bellringer points out, uh, in terms of statute authority, her office is the only authority that has any legal basis to go into the legislature and to look at uh, the transactions there. The legislature is not a crown corporation. It's not a private company. It is actually above uh, the law in a number of areas. It's not like local provincial bylaws or city bylaws do not apply to the legislature. Uh, the smoking ban, for example, in the, in the capital regional district that was there in the 90s uh, was challenged and by the clerk of the legislature uh, saying your bylaws do not apply to this place. And so it's a special place and only Carol Bellringer has the authority, I think, to, to go in there, which is why when she gave 
made that interview to Rob Shaw and the Sun, pointing out her concerns. Uh, Mike Farnworth phoned me in the morning saying, "Oh boy, you know this. this they misspoke uh, when they voted to send this out of province. They were in an extraordinary situation at that Lampsey meeting. The electricity in the air was palpable, uh, and they realized this was dynamite uh, report that was a hot potato. And they inadvertently said, let 'Let's go out of province,' thinking that was would match the mood of the public. But uh, I think we'd be well served for Carol Bellringer to come in here." and to have her team take a look at this. And I don't think it diminishes the, the credibility of that probe at all. All right. And the other side of that, uh, Vaughn, is uh, there's questions, of course, around the terms of reference and the scope. I mean, how far back should this thing go? I know there's some talk about, well, at least you go back to 2011 when Craig James was, was appointed clerk, uh, but it should go back further. And then if we start going back, you know, all of that time, what does that mean for timeline and, and the cost of an audit of that scope? Well, I think if you do go back a long, long way, and I mean you could, uh, I mean the cost would be prohibitive, the time would be incredibly time-consuming, and then you'd get to the question of what would be the point. If the point is to make sure it never happens again and clean it up, then a reasonable time frame would be uh, four or five years. Uh, Plekis only went back 18 months. Another possibility would be to go back to the beginning of Craig James's term, you're right, uh, to September the 1st. Uh, people may want to know what happened under previous clerks and previous speakers. Uh, you drew my attention this morning, and I appreciate it, to a story in the Penticton Herald where they interviewed the former speaker, Bill Barisoff, about the famous truckload of liquor, which was supposedly going to him. He says he never got it. And he also points out that very controversial retirement allowance that he approved for Craig James, he had a legal opinion that said it was legal and the Crown was obliged to pay it. So people think that going all the way back to, you know, the, the 90s or whenever um, might reveal things. Uh, in many cases, you maybe end up revealing things about politicians that are they're long gone from office, uh, and you may also simply discover that, yes, this went on, but it was also legal, and you can't very well fire people that have already left their jobs. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, uh, Keith, uh, just in an aspect of this, Linda Reed, uh, has been in, his, his name has been invoked in this uh, due to a whistleblower story, uh, Global BC broke. Um, with Linda Reed herself, and are, do you think there's others? I mean, uh, lots of speakers have signed off and potentially, you know, wrongful expenses. Uh, Craig James, Gary Lenz wearing this right now, but are Linda Reed and potentially others, could they get dragged into this as well? Oh, I think all sorts of people can get dragged into this thing. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is going to go where it goes, but uh, it has the potential of, of, again, dragging other people who've been on trips with uh, these two gentlemen, uh, other speakers as you say, who've signed off on things. One thing that Alan Mullen says that Lenz and James had concocted a system where they signed off on each other's expenses, and the Speaker wasn't necessarily approving them. The Speaker has access to that information. Linda Reed would have had access to this information the same way Daryl Pluckett did, but she didn't, for whatever reason, didn't want, wasn't interested, didn't act on it. And again, to go back to my earlier point, the one that John Horgan made, is that Plekis is unique and that he doesn't belong to a party. Linda Reid was the you know, first, the longest-serving liberal in the House. She was a, a de facto member of the Liberal Caucus, and she didn't want to rock the boat on this front. She did clash with James at the end of her uh, tenure as Speaker, but not at the beginning. Uh, and she had her own issues when it came to... Um, speaker who that trip she took with her husband overseas the so-called muffin gate where she wanted to have free muffins in the library for mla so 
yeah, others are going to get dragged into this, but I don't think anywhere near the same level of, uh, of scrutiny or impropriety as that's alleged to have been on the part of Lenz and James. All right. As we uh, enter the final few minutes, maybe we can bridge to a new topic from one to the other. But uh, the Plekis report, obviously uh, big in the headlines. It's a jaw-dropping thing. Lots of people are talking about it. Uh, lots of fodder in the media. Um, we have next week this Nanaimo by-election. Uh, Vaughn, and I'll ask both of you guys, uh, get you both to respond to this, but uh, any idea whether this report and sort of the fallout of could impact how that, uh, what happens in that by-election, Vaughn? I think it will be a factor. I was at the All-Candidates meeting in Nanaimo last night with all the candidates. Very well-attended event, 400 people in the hall. Uh, I see that the turnout for the Nanaimo by-election in the advanced poll is greater than it was in the general election, so people are engaged. Uh, I will say, however, at that meeting in Nanaimo last night, uh, the largest issue in terms of uh, public response and questions to the candidates is the fallout that continues here over at Kent City uh, in Nanaimo that was dismantled last December, and they established two sites with modular housing. The provincial government stepped in and did this. There was no consultation, and the two neighborhoods that got the modular housing are up in arms about theft, about safety issues and all that. So one is reminded that in a by-election always local issues are a big deal, and I'm not sure that uh, necessarily the scandal at the legislature is going to be the determinant. I think the race is close in Nanaimo. Personally, I'll be respectful really surprised if the New Democrats lose. Yeah, I think the, um, the fact that there's a high turnout in the advance poll, I think, uh, speaks to the NDP's chances of winning. Uh, generally, governments are punished in by-elections largely because they can't get their vote out. They, they, there's no consequences to who wins or loses, and so the turnout is usually very low. If there's a high turnout in the advance poll, I think that means there's going to be a higher-than-usual turnout in the, in the, in the by-election itself, and that speaks well to the incumbent and I think that speaks well to the fact the NDP won that seat by an average of about 3,300 votes in the last few elections. And even though Leonard Crowe's name's not on the ballot, I think that's a big gap for the Liberals to overcome. And I don't think this particular scandal, if it has any impact, is going to have a negative impact on the Liberals and not on the NDP. So this is a, this is a, a win for the NDP in terms of an issue that works for them. But Vaughn's right. I mean, local issues and, you know, the... Um, unique things that occur within a riding can often drive the vote in a by-election because the turnout's so low, but I'd be very surprised if the NDP loses this one. All right, final question on that Nanaimo by-election, because it is so crucial. Uh, to both of you, what do you think the roles will be of, of the B.C. Conservatives on one side and the B.C. Greens on the on the other? We talked a little bit about this last week with Michelle uh, Ney having a, a pretty familiar last name for people in Nanaimo. Could she draw votes away and play a significant role? Could she threaten to win this thing? Uh, Vaughn first to you. I uh, watched her in action last night. She's a nice person, a very inexperienced politician, not particularly articulate, not strong. I don't know as though she'll do as well as the Greens did uh, last time when they took 20% of the vote. The Conservative candidate, Justin Greenwood, relative unknown, but i got to tell you, Shane, he's got a cute slogan, a Justin you can trust in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be surprised if the Greens uh, come anywhere near their vote in 2017 of 20%. I just don't... I, I, I really think the Green vote was a one-time only in 2017, in terms of the support they got. I but think could, it, could it draw enough away from the NDP if it's a tight race? Well, but I think 
think they also drew away from they could also draw away from the liberals. And I, uh, I mean, these third and fourth parties can be a factor. You're right, Shane. I mean, the Greens, if they're taking votes from one of the other parties, that could be that could determine the outcome. Uh, the Conservatives, you know, the Conservatives gave the Courtney the riding just to the north, Courtney Comox. Uh, the Conservative vote went up significantly in 2017, and that may have cost the Liberals that that race. And in fact, the Conservative vote in Courtney may well have determined the outcome of the general election in 2017, and it could very well uh, hurt the Liberals in in this riding. But uh, again, you do all the factoring. I still think it's the NDP seat to lose. I don't think the Greens are going to be a big factor. And the Conservatives, I think, would probably inflict enough damage on the Liberals to ensure an NDP victory. All right. Keith Vaughn, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, take care. Bye. There's Keith Baldry from Global BC and Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Always good to talk to those guys. We'll take a quick break here on Inside Politics. On the other side, the leader of the BC Liberals, Andrew Wilkinson, will join us. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to be joined on the phone by the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. What are you, like a day removed for your holidays and you're already up to your eyebrows? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. You know, we've been trying to get something done, and yesterday was a chance for the parties to pull together and clean up this mess at the legislature, but unfortunately, John Horgan didn't want to do it. Uh, okay, let's dive into that issue, and then I'll, uh, we'll talk to Naimo on the back end here. Uh, number one, uh, do you owe Daryl Plekis an apology or no? Well, we've been asking for 10 weeks for the Auditor General to be involved in this uh, review of the situation at the legislature. Daryl Plekis obstructed that, the NDP obstructed that, the Green Party obstructed that. It's hard to say why. The Auditor General sat in the meetings and said she's happy to get involved. She should be involved. That's her job, and they didn't want to do it. That's why we were critical of Mr. Plekis for running his own little operation that uh, seemed to be involved in this forensic audit with no auditing credentials, no accounting credentials, no police credentials, no legal credentials. And they decided to do their own little uh, review. And now the report's out, so the obvious question is, uh, when's the Auditor General going to get the chance to get into this? And we hope the answer's as soon as possible. So yesterday I put out a request to the Premier for us to um, agree to stop the sniping and get to the bottom of this, to put a ban on foreign travel unless there's six weeks uh, advance notice and approval from the Management Committee. Stop these travel junkets abroad, period. Secondly, to post all of the Legislative Assembly uh, staff receipts online, just like MLA receipts have been online for five years. That was a BC Liberal initiative pushed through by Mike DeYoung when John Horgan was on the committee. And then lastly, we've said, let's get guidance from the Auditor General right away about the right accounting procedures to avoid this kind of thing in the future. Yeah. And unfortunately, Premier Horgan just rejected all three of those ideas. Um, you're a lawyer. Um, from a legal perspective, uh, do you have issues with the Plekis report? I mean, not the allegations made therein. There are obviously some problems here. I think we can all acknowledge that. But as we move from the court of public opinion into possibly court, uh, do you have issues with, with the Plekis report? Well, two issues there. The first is to restore public confidence in the institution because it's a $55 billion budget. Uh, the legislature is responsible for spending about $6 million an hour 
every hour of every day of the year, and that belongs to people of British Columbia. So we're calling out to clean the air, a clean house, make sure this is a credible institution. That's the first level. The second level, as you point out, is the legalities of this. It's going to get messy because Mr. Plekas has uh, blundered into the middle of this RCMP investigation. We gather there have been no search warrants executed, and so I'm not a criminal lawyer, but uh, the idea that all this is out in the public now may well uh, taint the witnesses who would be involved in this. So the police, I suspect, are not too pleased with Mr. Plekas' behavior so far. In terms of a civil lawsuit, there could well be a lawsuit to recover some of these funds from uh, Mr. James and Mr. Lentz. The much more likely scenario is that James and Lentz will somehow say that there's been no violation of their uh, contractual or employment relationships, and they will sue the government. So we'll see how it all turns out with the lawyers, but the primary concern to reestablish public trust in the institution. That's why I've suggested we just clean house, put in this travel ban, what was all the expenses, and get the Auditor General to manage these things. And that's something that the NDP and the Greens and John Horgan and Plekis as the Speaker have been blocking for 10 weeks. On that subject, and, and I don't have any beef to pick with your recommendations uh, to help out, I have a problem with that, but um, would you support opening up the legislature itself, the Speaker's office itself, to freedom of information requests, provide a level of oversight from the public and through journalism. Yeah, that's a good possibility, and it has to be sorted out because the lawyers will immediately say, well, anything that's um, a legal communication that is solicitor-client privilege can't be disclosed under the laws of Canada. So immediately you chop off a chunk of the information there. Then you chop off all the information related to uh, privacy matters that uh, don't get disclosed. That's why I'm saying just disclose all of the spending by posting the receipts online when they're processed. You won't have to wait around for four months for an FOI request to be processed. You can get the answer next week, and there'll be a full answer about spending. I see no obstacle to doing that, and I'm actually disappointed and surprised that Premier Horgan doesn't want to do that. Uh, Mr. James, who's at the center of all this thing, there's some uh, rather alarming allegations about his alignment with your party. Uh, can you shed some light on that? Is, is Craig James a, a, an ally of the Liberals, or do you have concerns there? What's going on there? Well, there's been a very selective disclosure of meetings between Craig James and various people in uh, elected office as Liberals. Craig James, as the clerk, his job is to meet with people in the political party. So he's met with Mark Farnworth probably 500 times. He will have met with John Horgan many times. You'll notice that none of those were disclosed. So there's a bit of selective disclosure going on here. It's part of his job to meet with the House leaders and to meet with the leaders of the parties and make sure that the House is functioning. And you can have all kinds of opinions, whether they're allegations or not, about Mr. James. But that's part of his job. But he was meeting with with liberals who were no longer in office. I don't imagine they'd be involved in the functioning of the House. I know nothing about that. So that's a good question for Mr. James and the people who met with him because certainly didn't involve me. I can't really comment on that. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing you learn as a lawyer. Don't run around making commentary on things until you've got all the facts straight. All right, we're running out of time, uh, and we never have enough when you're on. But uh, next week, a pretty crucial by-election in Nanaimo. If you guys can seize that seat, it uh, drastically changes the dynamic in the legislature. Gut feeling on your part as we go into the final few days here? Well, our candidate in Nanaimo, Tony Harris, has done an extraordinarily good job in two separate debates and on the doorstep. People really like Tony. He's a Nanaimo guy. They've been there since 1876. He's spent his whole life there. 
He's talking about ways to make Nanaimo a better place, and the NDP and the Green candidate are busy sniping about party politics. So we're pretty optimistic there. It's going well. I'm on my way there now, and we'll be uh, out in the streets in Nanaimo tomorrow, and people will be interested in the things that make their life go around, their car payments and their kids' soccer game and transportation, and that's what Tony's talking about. Do you have concerns about a vote split, either votes leaking to the B.C. Conservatives or even perhaps the, the B.C. Greens? Well, that's up to voters. They get to make up their own mind. That's why we have elections, and we'll do our level best to put out a program and a great candidate to say there's the prospect of a better future in Nanaimo. It's been largely taken for granted by the NDP because they've held it for so long. They had a good uh, candidate there before, Leonard Krogh, but he's moved on. So it's going to be interesting to see what the voters in Nanaimo have to say about the whole thing. Is the Nanaimo by-election a bit of a dry run into how the Liberals themselves would run as a party in the next general election, or is it a dynamic one-off unto itself? Well, by-elections are always kind of a a one-off thing. Uh, Turnout is never as big as in a general election, although the advanced polls are showing good results in in Nanaimo. And what we're proud of is having a great candidate who said that he believes in Nanaimo, believes in the Liberal Party, and thinks B.C. can be a better place. Well, we will see what happens next week. Always interesting in, in B.C. politics. Andrew, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All the best. Thanks, Jen. There we go. That's the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. I uh, didn't want to be too chatty about Craig James, which is rather interesting. We'll take a, we're not going to take a break. The show is coming to an end. I will see you again on Inside Politics right here on Radio NL with a panel and special guest next Friday. 106.7 Logan Lake, 98.1 Blue River, 97.5 Avola. From CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM. Local news now.